on the way down, I was asking someone, who did we have today? It's unusual for us to have this on an afternoon. And then someone said, our friends and the families of our friends. So then you're all friends. Welcome, all of you. Thank you for making that trek. It, uh, it's, it's all right now, but it used to be a very difficult journey to the monastery. It's not too bad now. They've paved the roads, and uh, but those days, when we first got here, oh yeah, <laughs> those memories. <clears throat> they were leeches all over the place. It was, uh, it was almost, uh, there was a swamp on one side. And this is very rural. We like a bit of ruralness. Shouldn't urbanize everything. It, uh, you have to main, keep the, the natural flora, fauna, you know, all that is nice. But uh, it was barely inhabitable when we first got here. So to invite anyone to come here, was uh, we always thought twice before asking someone to come down. Because usually, if they were bold enough to come once, they were wise enough not to come again. <laughs> Unless, of course, they stayed back for a sermon or two, and then they began to realize that this is worth the trek. So I think uh, a lot of the regulars, <coughs> familiar faces, They've all come on that journey. I think uh, we've been here for now six, six years since we started, 2017. When the monastery began and its roots, the seeds were planted. And today, this is who we are. I think our culture hasn't changed one bit. Our identity remains the same. Who we are, what we do, what we are here for. We are on Nibbana, like, like there's no tomorrow. That is why we, people still find us appealing. Despite all the development that you see going on around us, despite the advances that we are able to make year on year, be that in terms of our numbers or in terms of what we are able to provide for our devotees and people who come here seeking refuge of the Noble Triple Gem. I think deep down at our core, we've not changed one bit and I'm very proud of that. And I think we should all be. Because I think, you know, we help shape you and you help shape us so we are very fortunate that we've always had the right crowd coming here as a family and joining us as friends. People who are willing to make a difference, first within themselves and secondly in the lives of the people that they touch to make a positive change in the world, one small dent at a time. And the suggestion was this morning for there to be no sermon at all. 
So that's what, that is what uh, was initially suggested. And that's what I'd planned for. Uh, I beg your pardon. What was initially suggested was for the regulars to go and do the arrangements and the preparations for the almsgiving and for the devotees from Rajagiriya or Gateway College to be here to listen to, this, to the talk. But then we realized that if you've made the journey to come here, then you need to experience the people that come here. Because that is what we are about, actually. None of the things you see around here is what defines us. It is not the buildings. It is not the pagoda. We don't have one yet. <laughs> Six years on, we don't have one yet. It's not the shrine room that you see outside the Dhamma Hall. It's not the big buildings. It's not any of that. Our pride is our people. That is what we're proud of. The wonderful hearts that we've managed to build and foster. The tender, loving affection through the Dhamma that we've been able to expound. And the small but positive changes we've been able to make in lives, big and small. You saw the young children walk alongside us this morning. I, I don't think it takes much to say just a mere observation would have been enough to realize that they're special. They're special because of the special association that they get here and the many children who come here and the many adults who come here. I myself is one who was touched by the people who were here the Sangha community, the Dhamma, and the Buddha. So that is what we are about. Our people is our pride, our people, and helping them transform their lives into something positive, you know, uh, a powerful good is our passion. Our values are unity, care, trust, and such. So this is what we are about. And I'm really pleased that you all Set aside a Saturday, a whole day at that. I know it's not easy to come here today and be with us. So hopefully you will take with you today a lot of merit from the morning and the afternoon. And it is now my job, despite this being the graveyard shift, which only makes it all the more difficult. <laughs> it's now my job to ensure that through all the merits that you've acquired, from the start of the day, that you gain something spiritual, something that helps you advance mentally, spiritually, so that you leave today as someone who has made an improvement in their lives, in the way they th think, in their temperament, in the way they approach challenges in life. So, I think I've got the best part of about a couple of hours before I have to let you all go home. So let's get started then. I will try and make this very practical as much as I possibly can, because I think we have a few new faces. It's a bit of a mixed bag today. There are some regulars, but there are also some very new faces. And that's always quite I like that, because you don't know what you're going to hear today. 
Neither do I. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's bring our palms together then. In veneration of the most magnificent one, he who is the most merciful one, he who is our guide and our father, our teacher, our master, he who has, who he, he who came into this world to discover the truth and proclaimed it over his lifetime. And we as his students fulfill that path to achieve the ultimate bliss of Nibbana, which is the one goal that he wanted for all of us. So as we bring our palms together in veneration of the, of the Buddha, let us also remind ourselves that this is our purpose, our ambition, our goal of being here today. So this is an oath, a pledge that we make and take upon ourselves. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa You can relax, but don't relax too much. If you relax too much, the lights might go out. <laughs> Just give me a quick show of hands if you're here for the very first time at the monastery. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. And if you've listened, if you've never listened to a sermon before done by one of our monks, either myself or one of our monks, just give me a show of hands. Either online, all right, one or two individuals. Okay, good. Anyone want to swap seats? <laughs> all right. Do you know why I ordained? Aye. I chose this life. You know I wasn't born like this. This is a choice. This is not a single choice. It is a choice. This is a multitude of choices. What you see is the result of that. One choice after the other, after the other. And as soon as you make one choice, then another choice presents itself to you. And although we sometimes think that the path that our lives take us is mere coincidence or perhaps just pure randomness, pure chance, I'm not a big believer in that. I, think, I don't think that everything is laid down and it is all predetermined. But I think the choices that we make are very important and that is why we are here to learn how to make the right choices in life. In fact, that is why we are here. To put it quite simply, wouldn't you agree? I mean, why are you here? You're not here for the free lunch that you got earlier on today, were you? No, no you won't come all that way. <laughs> You're here because you know that in life, you have to make choices. 
And you also know that if you make the wrong choice, you have to suffer the consequences. If you make the right choice, then you get to enjoy the rewards. Yeah? We like rewards, but we don't like this word consequences because it has a very it has a negative connotation about it. It sounds very grim. Consequences. Sounds very negative. Sounds like some sounds very perilous. So we like something positive. We want to be able to be in control of our lives. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah? To be in control of our lives. Because here's one thing we cannot control. The things that happen on the outside. Hmm? Although we do try, I don't think man has ever given up trying to control what goes on on the outside. Right? When the lights go out, he'll find a way to get the lights back on. When there isn't enough water for us to drink, then man will somehow go and find water. Even if he has to dig it out of the moon, he'll find it. Because man is an intelligent species. Just not wise enough. They're intelligent. Intelligent enough to go looking for answers to problems that pose themselves from the outside. Now, these problems that come from the outside don't necessarily have to be material. They can be from our relationships. In fact, if I'd asked you, if I asked you, where do most of your problems come from? What do you think? Where, where, what would you say? Do they, do they come from material things or do they come from other people? Hmm? What do you think? Other people, sir. Absolutely, yeah. Other people. I mean, it's an art, isn't it? Learning to live with other people. If everyone was just like me. I'm such a... You know, I'm, I'm so easy to get along with, aren't I? I'm talking about how, how everyone feels, right? I'm just the easiest guy to get along with. It's just everybody else. Yeah? Yes, said every human being alive. <laughs> every man, woman and child says this. It's not me. It's them. So how do we learn to live with them? Because they're, they're hard nuts to crack. If only everyone was like me, Life would be so simple. They would always make the right choices, as I do. They'd always pick the right restaurant to go to. But when you have to live in and amongst other people who make the wrong choices, see? It's very difficult. So when other people also make choices, you also have to make choices. Sometimes the choices they, that they make limit your choices. Yeah? So you say, say for instance, that you can, there are three places you could go to. And as a single man, you could probably go to any one of the, these three places. But now perhaps you've got a fiancé or a fiancé, a loved one, or maybe another member of the family. They also can make these choices and they've already said, I can't come to that third place, but one of these two, I'm all right with that. But if it was down to your choice alone and nobody else's, that third place was your number one preference. See, now what do you do? See, now we have a problem. 
So when this happens, we have to learn how to mediate such problems. How do we overcome these problems? So we go to classes, we take classes. We take classes like conflict management classes. Yeah, been there? Oh, so have I. <laughs> been there, done that and bought the t-shirt. I know the gig. Conflict management classes, stress management classes, anger management classes. That's big these days. Oh, and uh, at the workplace, this happens a lot. You know, because at home, you know, sometimes you get to call the shots. But at the workplace, if you are an employee, you have a boss who gets to call the shots, and you have your colleagues, you know, you can't, you can't fire them. You have to work with them. You've got to learn to how to work with them, right? And they have their own challenges. You have your own challenges. And when these challenges collide, right, who wins? How do you manage these situations? So these days they have these things called uh, corporate wellness programs. Hmm? We are seeing more of it nowadays. Corporate wellness. No, it's good. It's all good stuff. A bit of yoga fixes the problem, doesn't it? Have you tried it? How about a pineapple juice every morning? Freshly squeezed pineapple juice. Hmm? With a, with, a, with a touch of lemon. Wouldn't that fix the problem? Detox yourself. And all your problems will go away. How about maybe uh, take a retreat? Maybe go to the Himalayas or somewhere. Or get yourself into solitude. Maybe go to some place far away where, you know, somewhere in, uninhabited. Maybe into the uh, mountains or perhaps, uh, you know, into the beach, beachside. Yeah, that's why they give you holidays from time to time. So you can, you know, take some time out of the work, out of, out of your workplace and, you know, relax. So in, this, in, the, in the moments you relax, you build up your resilience, you build up your, your, you charge your batteries. This is some of the business speak, right? You charge your batteries, you recharge your batteries, you, uh, you pump, up the, pump up the juice, right? Because you've been drained. So we are always in a struggle trying to find ways and means in which we can solve these conflicts because we have to get along with each other, don't we? How tiring. I mean, you know, if, if you had a choice, right? imagine I gave you all a magic wand. Right? I gave you all a magic wand and said, if when you go abracadabra, with this magic wand. I have one, see? That's why I do this at the end of every sermon. <laughs> it's a magic wand. Right? When you, when you swing this magic wand, I give you the power to change one person. One person, just one person. Okay? Just one person. Now I want you to answer this question in your minds. <laughs> Who is that one person that you would like to change? No, no, no cheating. <laughs> the good lady is saying, me, Swami Nasa, me, me. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> that is true when you're here. 
But what about when you're not here? When you're among your friends or so-called friends, or when you're at the work, at the workplace, when you're stuck in traffic. Hmm? When you're stuck in traffic and you're given a magic wand, okay? And there's just, just one space ahead of you, you're, you're maintaining your space, right? You've got to keep, what, two chevrons if you're driving on the motorway, but if not, at least, you know, some distance in case someone has to pull the emergency brake, right? So you have to maintain the distance and you're, as you're driving along, you know, a rickshaw, pulls up in front of you. Now, I give you a magic wand. Don't you wish like, like you know, cars nowadays would come with that as an option? <laughs> the magic wand. If you, I mean, if you opted for a full option car, right, should it not come with a magic wand so that you can go disappear? <laughs> or green? <laughs> Huh? Onto the traffic lights. See, if you were given a magic wand, just forget the Dhamma for a second. Right? No cheating. Right? And I asked you, who is the one person in this world you'd like to change? I think, I think, that you'll all have someone in mind that you'd like to change. Some of you, for some of you it'll be, it's my husband Swami Nansar. He's good. He's a good guy. I love him to bits. But he's... Yeah. If I had a magic wand, there are some peculiarities about him that I wish I could change. And if I had a magic wand, I would do that. That's the one person I'd change and life would be tickety-boo for me. Ask the husband. Oh, here's something you could do, right? For his next birthday, go to him and ask him, Honey, for your birthday, I'm going to get you a magic wand. And this magic wand, you can change one person. right? That's all you can do. It's like a, you know, the genie out of the bottle. Name your wish and I will grant it. right? So you're, you're, you're going to gift this to your husband and you tell him, Wave this and we can make change, change one person. Who would that person be? And then you'll have to soon enough ask him another question. Why are you staring at me? <laughs> what about at the workplace? There's always that annoying guy that sits next to you. Right? Either he's tapping away so noisily at his keyboard all the time won't let you do any work, or whatever gossip he brings from, from, from home, right? whatever rubbish he picks up off the internet, he'll just come and dump it all on you. And you have to listen to all that rubbish and garbage. Or he'll just go on about how you know, the economy is in such a state and the workplace is so you know, such a drain and they're not getting the pay rise that they wanted and no bonus at the end of the year. Uh, it's, just, it's just such a drain. There's that, that guy. There's that guy. What about among your friends? There's always going to be some one one guy. If you you know if you had a magic wand, you'd like to change. In your family, there's probably one person you'd like to change. Maybe it's your elder son. As my mother used to say, if she had the magic wand, 
I would have changed much earlier than I did. So we always think that the problem is out there. Honestly, if you had a magic wand and said, this can change one person, I feel that pretty much everyone in this world, virtually everyone in this world would say, I have a person in mind who I'd like to change with this. And that person is not you. Am I right? That person is not you. Why is it so difficult for us to think that if I change, everything will change? Why do we feel, and it's not just a feeling, you know, we are, all, we are convinced, aren't we? We are so convinced that the problem is out there. Change the others and the problem will go away. You know, just, just, just think for a second how we went about solving problems that we had in life. Have you never shouted at anyone? You know, like really had a go at them? Hmm? Never? I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, your children because they were doing the, bad, doing the wrong thing and if you didn't shout at them, they, they would have just completely done the wrong thing. I'm not talking about that. You were angry. You were actually angry. You were angry. And you had a go at them. You really told off. And here's the best part. Sometimes later on, when you recollect the incident, you regret. And then you think to yourself, how low could one guy get? Why did I say all those things? Why did I have to say all those things about his family? What's his caste got to do with any of this? What's the fact that he's poor got to do with any of this? What's the fact that he's not educated got to do with any of this? But how low did I have to stoop to bring in all those things so that I could give him a juicy punch of an insult just to make myself feel better? See, aren't there times you regret in life for some, some of the things you say? I mean, life is a bunch of regrets for some people. There are times, you know, people come to us, usually, you know, after 60, 65, that sort of thing, right? they come to us and say, Swami Nansen, my whole life is a mess. Can you fix me up? I said, Madam, you should have come to me uh, 60 years ago. <laughs> when do we start? When is the right time to start? You know, you've heard of the sasana, you know what the Buddha is, right? You know who the Buddha is, you know, you know the Dhamma, right? And you know that this is a transformation that we need to make in our lives, right? You have to become virtuous. You have to practice the path, right? We have to fulfill our paramitha, right? So our perfections and so on. When, when do we start? When's the right time to start? Who here is too old to make a start, I ask? Who's too young, by the way? But are you too young? How old are you? Twelve. He's only twelve. What are you doing here? <laughs> Is he not too young to be here? Isn't he too young to start? Where were you when you were twelve? 
You know, when I bump into our little Anagarika children, right? I think the youngest one is in fact 12. Not the noble house, not the youngest Bhattas, I mean, you know, the Anagarikas. With the prayer mats on their shoulders, you've seen them, right? The youngest one is 12. So I was doing some work with him the other day, doing some planting. So I said, Puta, how old are you? He said, I'm 12, Swami so Nuhansa. I said, are you mad? <laughs> he said, why Swami Nuhansa? What are you doing here? <laughs> At 12 years of age, is this what you're supposed to be doing? I said, you know what I did it when I was 12? Do you know what your, 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 your friends from school will probably be doing right now? What are you doing here? At 12, is this what you're supposed to be doing? Are you nuts? He, of course, knew I was just jesting. But, you know, it's because we, just think about it, right? You know, we feel, and, and this is typically the case when you look around, when you look around, right, usually people feel that the time to start the sasana, the time to start to make a change internally, you know, this internal cleansing, this internal purification, this, you know, reaching out to something bigger than you, you know, reaching out for, for greatness, right, trying to make that internal transformation is probably something you've got to start after you retire, Right? You've, 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 you've got a family going, you, you've got your estate, you've got your property, you've got, your, you've got a good income coming, right? you've done your retirement planning, right? all that is done and dusted. And now, when everything has settled down, right, it's now it's time to start thinking about the afterlife. Hmm? It's now it's time to start thinking about the afterlife. What's going to happen when I'm dead? What's this thing called karma? When is it going to come and bite me on the back? How do I, how do I run away from that? Because you're reminded of some of the things you've done in the past. And people start saying, you know, now you're old, you better start doing something about your life. Right? Take talk, take talk, people, <laughs> people say as they bump into you. When is the right time to start? Is this child too young? Are some of you too old? What's the right time to start? This is an answer you have to come up with on your own. What is the right time to start? You know, the right time to start, I think, is when you're ready. You start when you're ready. How do you know when you're ready? How do you know when you're ready to start? Are you ready to start, sir? Do you think you're ready to start? Madam? Madam? Sir? Are you ready to start? Or did you just come here for a trial? <laughs> How do you know when you're ready? You just know it. You just know when you're ready. When your merits begin to ripen, you know you're ready. There's going to be a voice in the back of your head going, it's time, do something. You're getting long in the tooth, do something. Right? Do something. And for some people, that calling comes at a very young age. 
for some people it is like that so don't just assume that just you know just because you see a young monk maybe you know some some places five six seven right I, I, we we believe that from the age of seven right this is because going back into the scriptures in history the youngest sota panna we've heard was age seven right so we believe that for someone to understand the dhamma to get to, to actually to get to some kind of comprehension of what the teaching is about what this path is about what nibbana is about one must be at least 7 years of age but i could be wrong this is just based on what we've seen in the scriptures so just because you see a young young monk right it's not it wouldn't be right for us to think oh poor child what does he know you know he's not even lived yet right what does he know what does he know about suffering right what does he know about the pleasures of the world shouldn't he go and experience them first before he comes into the life of a of an office of a samanera or of a life of a monk could you know my point is this though for people who might have this or share this opinion which one do you think out of these two is the more efficient journey starts here ends here is that there's that if you had to make a journey from point a to point b okay and the sooner you get there the better and you're not paid for the miles traveled you get paid when you arrive at your destination for having arrived at the destination not for distance traveled which of these journeys would you take a or b oh sorry the the blue path or the black path which one would you take sure hmm. why because you learned for math and for physics the dis- the difference between displacement and distance traveled if what matters is whether you've got to the destination or not and not the distance traveled then this path is the more efficient path it is the shorter path you get there quicker and you've got a lot of your resources left when you get there whereas if you've traveled all this way all the while you're traveling you're expending resources that you have what is this resource something i'm talking about Hmm? you know this is a metaphor right or a simile if you like what is this resource i'm talking about what did the buddha say was most precious for human beings like you and i life absolutely life life have you heard people say this time is money hmm let me put it on a formula time is money you've heard this i mean you some of you might have even uttered this time is money time is money hurry up chop 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 
Let's get going. Come on, come on, come on. Time is money. <laughs> See, I have one problem with this. When you give money, when you give time, you get money. That's what you do at the workplace. right? You go and give them 20 years of your life. They give you whatever your hourly rate is times by 20 years. Let's say at the end of the 20 years you think to yourself, hmm, I should have done something different with my life. Let me go back to my employer. Boss, I've changed my mind. Here's all the money that you gave me. Please, can I have my time back? What's he going to say? When pigs fly. Can you agree with this? If two things are equal, when you give one, you should be able to exchange it for the other. When you give time, you probably can get money, but when you give money, you can't get time. So time does not equal money. This is wrong. Get this out of your heads. This might, I know why, why people say this, because in business, time is money. But when it comes to your life, time is not money. When it comes to your life, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing that you can value as equal, as an equal to time. It is priceless. Because it is all you have and it is all you don't have. The one, the one thing that you have and the one thing you don't have, they're both time. So time spent from getting from A to B, getting from A to B, on the blue line, it took you 60 years. On the black line, it took you six years, seven years, 10 years. If after all is said and done, at the end of the day, you're all back here, as you are. Look at yourselves. Look at me. We've all come back here, right? Now, the young children in the, in the audience, right? I ask you for a second. Stand up for a second, Putta. Stand up for a second. Do me a favor. No, not all of you. <laughs> young Puttas. <laughs> all right, all right. Turn around and have a look in the room. Look at all the uncles and the aunties, all the ladies and the gents. Hmm? Okay, uh, right, hold on. Any teachers in the house? Just give me a show of hand, teachers. If you've taught anything in your life, right, you know, science, math, music, a sport, right, so we have some teachers, thank you. All right, put your hands down, thank you. Doctors, any doctors in the house? Doctors? No doctors? Now there's one. All right. Any uh, sportsmen? Professional sports people, sports persons, right? There's one there. Thank you. Housewives? We have a fair few. Thank you. Engineers? We have a few. Right? Uh, artists? Yeah, it could be music, could be drama, could be uh, art. You know, yeah, we, okay. So you have a few. Uh, what else do we have? People who are in the legal business. Lawyers, solicitors, 
Ah, we have one. Thank you. Right. So this house, Buddha, it's got everyone here. Okay. Sit down. <clears throat> right. Here are the teachers. Here you have the engineers. Here you have the doctors. Here you have the lawyers. Sorry. Here you have, what is it we ask for? Artists, thank you. Housewives, house husbands, right? Got them here, right? Hmm? Musicians, so artists, uh, say musicians. Sports personnel. Sports persons. Well, bank, ooh, yes. <laughs> Let's not forget the bankers. <laughs> One banker coming right up. <laughs> As a bank, I'll put myself up here. <laughs> Right. See, and where are we all today? And where are we all today? Right here, right now, where are we all? Under this one roof, in the presence of the supremely enlightened Buddha. These young children, they are inspired by yourselves. They're inspired by you. They aspire to be like you. In fact, if I got one of them to spend, say, a week, a weekend with one of you, right? Fine gentlemen, ladies, right? If I got them to spend a week with you, at the end of that week or that weekend, if I got them to spend some time with a lawyer, I bet you any money, at the end of that weekend, they'll say, I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> Oh, yes. But then if I got them to go and spend another weekend with, say, a doctor, right? Where are the doctors? Doctors. Hmm? At the end of that weekend, they'll say, I want to be a doctor. See, they're, they're inspired by you, and that is good. You have such an influential power on, on people. You, you are able to persuade people. Young people, young minds, because they are very easily persuaded. They are very impressionable. But the fact of the matter is, we are all here today. So we have gone all this way. And where have we all ended up? In the sasana. These young children, the four or five children that stood up, where are they? They're also here. So they're here. At the tender age of 12, he's here. Some of us, we spend 20, 30, 40, 50, going 60 hmm? years, driving around the town, going here, there, anywhere, sometimes lost. Weren't there times in life where you thought, is this what I should be doing really? Midlife crisis. <laughs> uh, 
I'm sure there'll be there'll be people who've had who've had that in their lives. Right? Halfway down the line, down, halfway down the track, you're wondering, <laughs> maybe I should have taken a left turn there. <laughs> but then it's too late too late to turn back because your 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 contemporaries they've moved on. So you know you got to you got to keep up appearances, right? You can't be seen as a failure among your friends, among your peers. So you got to carry on and pretend that everything's just going fine. <laughs> These are the problems that we have sometimes in our lives. But you see, the fact of the matter is, once again, folks, you know, we are all back here. So, my argument is this. If we all started here, you all started out as nothing. We all started out as nothing, didn't we? When we first came into this world, we all came naked. I certainly did. How about you? Hmm? Yes. Not a single hair on my body. Right? And not a thread to cover my nudity. I was pure naked. And then life started. So on this journey that seemed endless at the beginning, but then you realize before you know long things are going to start collapsing. So in the short time I have, I had better do something with my life. We started taking adventures down the alleyways of life. And every time we bounced in, bumped into someone, Someone we thought was an inspiration. Someone we thought knew a thing or two about life. Right? The Gandalfs that we came across in our lives. The people who we th- looked upon and, 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 and seemed like figures, you know, authoritative figures. The principals, the teachers, the, the, the people who got out of, you know, nice cars. The people who walked out of big homes. The people who looked dapper in their, in their suit and in their dresses. We looked at them, the people who had the shiny jewelry, the people who were on the front cover of magazines. We looked at them. We were inspired by them. And we thought, that's where I want to take my life one day. You know, growing up, you probably had you know, someone's picture on your wall, right? Growing up, I think we all did. Someone, someone you looked up to, that was your role model. You wanted to become like them. But the thing is, even they come and end up here. So although we do take these detours in life, we go on these adventures in life, we all come to the same place to end that journey. And I'm going to say something out loud now. I don't mean to offend anybody, but I think this is the truth that we all need to hear. All of this was just a waste of time. It was just a waste of time. We've got the money to show for it. The bank account is full. We've got a big house to show for it. We've got a few ships in the dockyard to show for it. Perhaps we've got a few, uh, you know, maybe we've traveled the world. I've got home, one here, one there, one in the other place, you know, to show for it. I've got 50 acres of tea to show for it and 100 acres of rubber to show for it. But when it comes down to one question, we're also very poor. And that is, having acquired all this Today, 
Are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Are you satisfied? Are you at rest? You know why they put that thing when you die? Huh? Your tombstone, what does it say? Rest in peace. You can put finally. So if that is rest in peace, what was everything before that? Anything but, right? Yeah. See, all of this was a waste of time. We seem to be doing a lot, but not achieving much. That is why they call it the rat race of life. One pursuit after the other, after the other, after the other. There's always something to pursue in life, isn't there? I mean, if you pick up a hobby, whatever profession you're in, there's always something you can pursue. And it seems like if you're not in pursuit of anything, you're a failure. That's what people say. You've got to go after something. Where is your ambition, man? Where are your goals? Where are your dreams? Come on. Stand up. Get up. Run. Go after the the big dollars. Go after the big things in life. Go after the luxuries in life. I, for one, was one who used to say that to people. (laughs) I was an advocate of that. So I know I know the drill. I used to paint a wonderful lifestyle in people's minds and I, I told them, you know, don't be lackadaisical with life. Get up on your feet, run. Go achieve your big dreams. It's all worth it. But today I realize it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time for one reason and one reason alone. Because when you distill all of the things that people do in life, you get it down to just one thing, one one thing alone. The one element that we are all after is simply, are we happy at the end of the day? You know, this is the the one question you all ask yourselves as you go to bed at night and shut the lights out. When you count your Losses and your gains, right? When you do the books at the end of the day and you close your, close your eyes at night, you have this one question to ask. Am I happy today? Was it worth it? Have I achieved something out of today? Did I make a step forward in my, in, in my, in my life in terms of my, my fulfillment, my, my self-fulfillment? Have I done something with my life? Now, unfortunately, you never answer that question with a yes Absolutely. It is always a case of mm, so-so. Yes to all this, but there was always that thing that I could have done better. I could have, I could have signed that deal. I could have negotiated just a little bit more. I could have asked for a better deal. I should try and do that tomorrow. You know, they say hope keeps you alive. So the hope of something more than what you have today is what wakes you up in the morning for tomorrow. You know, you can dress it up in wonderful things like positive thinking and, you know, stoicism or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, folks, right, we, it all boils down to just one thing. Are you happy with your life? Because when that day comes, tick-tock, 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 right? When that day comes and the last talk is about to go off, all the money in the bank is not going to amount for, count for anything. 
You came empty-handed and you're going to go empty-handed. It might be that you have a, a deed that says you own half of the planet. Perhaps. You know, nowadays you can buy craters on the moon. Did you know that? It just you know, costs you a few, dollars, a few thousand, maybe million dollars. I don't know what the price tag is, but you can have deeds for craters on the moon. You can have it named after you. How wonderful. <laughs> when people take you for a monkey. We talked about this at Rajagiri. How people take you for a monkey. See, when someone says, you own half the moon, I just say, someone says, you own half the moon. Do you really? If someone actually said, you own half the moon and here's a deed to show for it. If someone came and said, no, I own half the moon, you can actually go and stand in court and argue a case and win it because you, ca you actually do own the moon because oh, half the moon because you've got the paperwork to show for it. But do you actually own the moon? Do you? It's just a sense, a feeling that you own it, right? But see, now I'm going to take this a bit deep into the Dhamma, okay? Just, just one step deeper. Sometimes it seems like life's struggle is all about being able to say how much of the things in life you, you own, how, how much of the things in life belong to you. Sometimes it feels like, for, for some people, that is what life is about. So that at the end of their life, they can look at everything they own and say, you know, I own this part, I own that part, I own land from here, I own, the, I own these shops in this line of shops, this parade of shops, all belong to me. This, these islands over there, they belong to me. You can even see it on the, on the map. You can see them from the moon. That, that island over there belongs to me. Right? These businesses, I'm the empire. I have an empire. I'm, it's, it's a conglomerate. Lovely words, aren't they? <laughs> It gives you a nice feeling, doesn't it? It's amazing when pride, this, this evil called pride, hmm? when, it, when it settles in the mind, people can take you for a real ride. <laughs> Answer this question for me. Two people walk up to you. One person says, I need... Uh, I need 100 rupees. Give it, please. That's one person. Another one says, Sir, Madam, you're so kind. I know you are. You're the most generous soul I can think of. Please, Madam, Sir, could you, could you, would you kindly, out of all the compassion in your mind and in your heart, please give me a hundred rupees? Here's two hundred. Keep the change. What was the difference? One made you feel good. Hmm? One made you feel good. You know, what is customer service after all? <clears throat> I worked in the business. I used to be a bank manager. I used to teach my people how to get business out of people. 
So it was a it was a rule at the at the at the at the bank we used to work. You have to use a customer's name. So when a customer walks in the into the branch and they hand in their card, <clears throat> the first thing you have to do is take the card, look at the name, and go, "Oh, Mr. Jones, how nice of you to come in today." And Mr. Jones saying, "God, these people know me. <laughs> they treat me like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm you know I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, you know they treat me with value." They actually called me by my name. They know me. I must be. I must be well known in these circles. And then they say, "Sir, nobody calls me sir. <laughs> nobody treats me like that. But when I come to come in here, they call me sir. Huh? When I come in this place, they call me madam. So, I must be very important. If you can make someone feel important." You can get a lot of things from them. You can get a lot done from them. Just make them feel important. If you take this book, I'm sure most of you will have read it. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And another one, the, uh, the book on influencing people. How to make friends. How to win friends and influence people. The seven uh, the, 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 the habits, the behaviors, right? One of the first things they say in that book is, when you, when you speak to people, use their name. Because when you say someone's name, you know, they feel very important because they believe that they have become an important part in your life. So what does that tell you about people? What does that tell you about that mentality? Why does it make you feel good when someone calls you madam? Why does it make you feel good when someone calls you sir? Just think about it for a second, folks. You know, this is how I'm not saying we should stop doing that from now on, okay? Because this is these are the social norms, these are the these are the good manners, the behaviors, the politeness, courtesy, right? We need all that. It is all part of being Sudhuministo, right? We need that. Treat others with respect, treat you know, treat others as you would like to be treated and all that good stuff, right? So we need that. Let's not stop any of that. But my point is this why do you feel good? How does someone feel feel good when they are addressed with something like sir, madam, professor, doctor? Right? These are some of the titles that we have come to come accustomed to using. Then, you know, like you know, now so for some these doctors, some some people when they when they give their name, they say I am doctor so and so. Actually, they are medical doctors, not not. Uh, Academic doctors and medical doctors. See, now, if you're a doctor, you'll say, I'm doctor this. But what about if you're a coconut plucker? You don't say, I'm coconut plucker, plucker Siripala, do you? But you say, I'm, I'm doctor Vikramarachi. Hmm? But say, if you're a potter, you don't say, I'm potter Samarapala. You don't say that. Because again, you know, this is ego. We we like you know it, it's like a soothing balm to the soul when our egos are patted when you know so we need to be mindful of this when because otherwise we become victims then people can get all sorts out of us they can make us do things that we wouldn't want to otherwise but that aside my concern here is this. From your perspective, from your, from looking at it from your angle, if that makes you feel better, 
If it makes you feel good when someone gives you praise, gives you honor, right? Then something's wrong. Because it's like it's like it's like a flower waiting to blossom. If the mind feels that it is it does not it is not valued it is undermined right when the mind feels that it is undermined this is what we call a, a state of say uh, uh, inferiority right and when you when you when you get this this these words of grace these words of courtesy these these words of politeness and and you know and honor now the mind blossoms it feels like it it feels pleasure that is what happens this is because when that happens folks you know we feel that we belong to something we belong to we belong to somebody in some way we belong to uh, a class we belong to a social strata we belong to a certain category we belong to something big this sense of belonging can really eat away into your peace of mind That's why I said earlier on for some people if you actually look at why you know the, the purpose of their lives it seems like life is you know pursuit pursuit to to have as many things as possible that they say belongs to them on this journey this 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 blue path right or every every milestone that was passed every juncture that was passed every place where you stopped and you realized that i have now become a doctor i've become a i've become an engineer i've become a teacher i've become a mother that's another title i'm i'm now a housewife i'm a house husband i'm a banker and so on right every every milestone that you pass on this journey gives you a sense of achievement and without that achievement you feel that you have no place in this world now does it not tell us something about the mind itself it's looking for a place in this world the mind is looking to become a somebody when i say the mind i'm just talking about you know you and i because it's not the body that's looking for this right you know this it's the mind the mind wishes to become a somebody people want to become a somebody because it is those somebodies who are respected in this world the somebodies who get praise and honor in this world somebody that's why titles are a big deal you know in the uh, medieval times and in the times of the kings and so on right titles titles were bestowed on people right like the dames and the knights right and so on so why was that because it made people feel good that was the way in which you would reward them for something right if you if you if you've uh, uh, appeased the the king the the emperor right the ruler of the land they would give you a title now some of some of our surnames if you look back into the into the history of how your surname came into being for some of you you know it would have been it would have been like that <clears throat> the kings would have bestowed certain titles like there's a surname called for example vanninayaka right that would have been a title that would have been bestowed upon by a king a nayaka a leader for a clan so these were titles that people 
sought because it gave them a feeling of accomplishment in their lives. What that means is, if that makes the mind happy, then the mind is always looking for that, that, that sense of accomplishment because it is never fulfilled on its own. So therefore, it's always looking for that fulfillment from the outside. This is that journey. That journey of always looking and expecting for the next thing to make itself feel fulfilled, satisfied, achieved. But it's like the, ho- that it's like the carrot in front of the donkey. Every step you take, you think you're going to get closer to it. But as the donkey moves, the carrot moves with it. And this is why, right before you got here, even right here, right right before you all came here, by here I don't literally mean in this room, right? I mean to seeking His grace, right? That's what I mean by that. Right before we all came here, we would have all been someone. I myself was a banker. I was a husband. I was a family man, right? You would have been teachers, Lawyers, engineers, doctors, right? Politicians, you know, respectable people in your societies. Countrymen, statesmen, whoever. But you weren't fulfilled. That was the carrot in front of the donkey. So you were hoping that the next thing that I do is going to fulfill. The next thing I'm going to do is going to satisfy me. This is someone who's done it so many times before but never was satisfied, but hopeful that the next thing will always satisfy me. This is what life is. Until we come across the Dhamma, life is a pursuit of the next thing that's going to satisfy me, but it never does. It's always looking forward to the next thing, but the moment you go there, there's always something ahead of you. Something else, something more that you aspire to, something more that you wish for. So we started this conversation today asking about, you know, how in this, the predicaments that we find ourselves in our lives, right? the problems and the challenges that we face in our lives, families, colleagues, and so on. We always want to change the other person, right? And that magic wand if given to you and asked, who would you like to change? The answer you have is somebody else. What do you think you did all the way along this journey? Who do you think you changed? Other people. Every time there was an argument, what is an argument after all? Do you argue with yourself? Hmm? Two people arguing, are they actually arguing with themselves? <laughs> no, they are arguing with each other. What is the point of the argument? Change your opinion so that you agree with mine. What does the other person say? The same thing. Change your opinion so that you agree with mine. Right? We are always looking for the other person to change their point of view. And sometimes we even expect them to make it, we expect them to it be so simple, so easy. And sometimes we will say, you know, why can't you understand what I'm trying to tell you? It's so simple. Just come on, just change your mind, move on already. What I'm saying is so obvious. Why can't you just understand? Just, you know, understand and let's just change. Why is it so difficult to change? You ask them. How ironical. (laughs) What a question that is. Who's the toughest nut to crack at that time? You are. Right? You ask someone else to change when you can't change. 
Have you never found yourself in that situation? Right? You always ask someone else to change. And you tell them, why is it so difficult to change? Come on, change your opinion on this. Why don't you do it the other way? Why do you always have to do it this way? Change it. You expect the other person to change. But if they turn that back around you, back around on you, then it's difficult. When it's so difficult for me to change, I expect other people to change. Why is it so difficult for people to change, actually? Why is it so difficult for people to change? Is it difficult for you to change? If so, why? I'll tell you why. Even when you know that what you are looking for is the wrong thing, sometimes it's still difficult to change. Even when you know that you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be saying this, you shouldn't be going after it. Let's take a very simple example, right? You have something that is due tomorrow morning, the following morning, right? And you know that now what you ought to be doing, now I think the young children can relate to this as well, right? You've got some homework that is due in the following morning or you have a test the following morning, right? And you're, what you're supposed to be doing right now is doing your homework, doing your revision, doing your studying. But there's a game on. The game's on. The cricket's on. The final is on. Now you know what you should be doing is going and doing your revision. You know what you should be doing is typing up that report. But you seem stuck. Right? As you try to lift yourself up off the seat, what happens? Throughout the world, gravity, yeah, the force of gravity is 9.8 newtons per meter squared. But where you are, It's 980. Is it not so difficult to stand up at that time? Hmm? When you pick up the remote and there's the off button, every other button is so easy to press except for the off button, that red button. One tap on that and the TV goes off. But it's so incredibly difficult to do that. Why do you think that is? See, these are, these are the challenges that you have in your life. And then you ask this question, why do they have to play the game just a day before my exams? <laughs> See, you'll even ask that question. Why do they have to put this on the day before my exams? Don't they know that the following day is A-levels? <laughs> How unfair. Scholarships for exams tomorrow, why are they putting the cricket match on today? I mean, sometimes even the adults at home will be arguing about this. How unreasonable that they do this. Don't they know that young children will be at home trying, wanting to watch the games, right? Why are they doing this? They should be doing it after the exams. See, once again, you have the magic wand. And who do you want to change? People outside. It's so very difficult to turn this back on you, isn't it? Why is it so difficult, I ask you? I'll give another example. You've just had your blood reports. Hmm? Blood sugar, borderline high, cholesterol high, LDLs, your low density lipids, almost fatal. Unless you start making a change in your diet, right? The doctor said, at best, a year. 
right? This is serious. So you better start making some changes and no more sugars, no more fatty stuff, right? If you love life, you better start making some changes and get some exercise while you're at it, the doctor says. So now you know what you need to do. You believe the doctor, right? The doctor is right. The doctor is always right. But you know what they do in these supermarkets? Terrible things they do at supermarkets. And the TV adverts. Don't they know that there are people at home who are obese? Don't they know that there are people at home who are, you know, who should be on on a diet? How selfish of them. How thoughtless of them to be putting those adverts on TV where they say, right, these juicy sausages, succulent sausages. What would you do with the magic wand? Take out all the adverts, right? Ban the adverts. Ban all these adverts. The high fat, the high sugar adverts. Ban them all. Because they're making life difficult for you, aren't they? See, if only... And I'm alright. If only they changed. I'm, I'm alright, right? It's not my problem. I'm alright. But if only they changed, if only they could be a little bit more thoughtful, then the whole world would be fine. You know, in Siyumaga, which is our Dhamma school at the monastery, recently we did a, um, we did a, a drug awareness program. <clears throat> one for the girls, one for the boys. Right? <clears throat> and soon enough we'll be doing one on uh, abuse, child abuse. Because we want to save our children. Because they're very special children. These children. They're very special. Now they, they don't want to waste their time. Like you. They know their goal. They know the path. They want to go straight for it. Bullseye. Right? So they're very special children. So therefore, we invest time and resources to ensuring that they can take the quickest path to their salvation. So we did, we did this program. And in this drug awareness program, <clears throat> not once did we say that it is wrong for the advertising companies right, or for the, uh, the, the tobacco companies or the, uh, the, the liquor companies or the, you know, anyone. Never did we say that it is their fault that today drugs is such a problem. No. When you saw the moon, oh, sorry, when you looked at the moon and you saw the rabbit on the moon, right? To convince you that there is no rabbit up there, what did mother do? Did she, did she take a rocket, go to the moon and change it? Hmm? Did she reconfigure the moon so that you wouldn't see the crater that looked like the rabbit? Or did she just make you aware and tell you, Puta, although that looks like a rabbit, it's not really a rabbit. Right? The fault is in your thinking. It's not, the, it's not the, the world out there. That's what she did, right? So when we talk about drug awareness programs, right, we never say that the problem is out there. The problem is always with you. There's no point trying to fix the outside world. No matter what we're talking about here, if you're angry, there's no point trying to fix the outside world. Conflict management classes are all right because, you know, they, I mean, they're all right. 
right? They're all right because they, t- they tell you, you know, try and see the common ground, right? Before you start looking at what's different, right? These are some of the things they'll tell you and try and find, find the right moments to go and, go and, you know, settle those conflicts. Don't go, don't go when they're busy, right? You know, maybe take them out for a coffee, right? Show that you are willing to, to compromise. You know, these are some of the techniques that they'll teach you. But again, you're expecting a change to happen on the outside. What if it doesn't? How about we stop changing them and we come to terms with who we are, learn how to manage ourselves better, learn how to relieve ourselves from the expectations that we set upon others and other things and other events and so on and free ourselves once and for all. That is achievable in the sasana. That is what we have come here for. All of this, this journey, right? This, all, all these ups and downs, ins and outs, all this is a waste of time, I say, because none of this helped you get to your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal was not really to become a doctor or, a, or an artist or a musician or an engineer or a lawyer, none of that. We've asked, why do you want to do these things? You know, just think about it when you were younger, right? When you were just a young child, someone said, Puta, what is your ambition? Right? You would all have said something. You would have said something. Perhaps that changed over time, right? But you would have said something. Now, if you recall, when you were younger and someone asked you, what would you like to be? And perhaps you said you want to be a doctor. Did you know what being a doctor entailed? I certainly didn't. I didn't. When someone asked me, what do you want to be? I said, doctor. Well, I didn't know what that entails. But I knew one thing. If you become a doctor, you can be happy. At least that's what I thought. And so everyone who I met, anyone who had an ambition to go on to become somebody, if you ask them why, they won't tell you the ins and outs of it because they don't know the ins and outs of it. But what they do know is if they fulfill that path, if they walk down that path, then eventually they will get to this thing called happiness. So you've come all the way here and you realized, I've achieved all these things, but I'm still not happy. If you still have sleepless nights, you're not happy. If there are still things that bother you and annoy you, you're not happy. If there are fears in life, you're not happy. And that fears, those fears can be little things, can be big things. And it could be something little, like my, I've got an exam tomorrow and you're worried, you're stressed. People, um, someone told me recently that, that is why I mentioned the corporate wellness stuff. Right? In organizations these days, they're making big investments apparently to incorporate corporate, corporate wellness programs into their, into their organizational regimes to try and help their people, their staff become more resilient in, in some of the, the challenges that they have in life. And it, a proposal actually came to us and said, Swami Nansar, you know, isn't this you know, a prime area where we can actually do something and help actually people try and understand, make sense of some of the challenges in life. Because people are spending big money on this type of thing. (laughs) The truth is priceless. So I don't think happiness should come (laughs) with a price tag. Come on. Should happiness come with a price tag? What do you think? Sir? No. It is what we all deserve. 
Every man, woman and child deserves to be happy. But nowadays, it comes with a price tag. See, in, in the world, we have this thing called poverty. Right? I, and I don't mean like if you, if you don't have something to eat, right, and you're, you're hungry throughout your, you know, most of the day, most of, the, most of your life you're hungry. Or I'm not, I, I don't mean like living under, you know, I'm, I don't mean impoverished. I just mean poverty by the definition where people say there are things we want in life, but we can't get them. I'd like to have a car, but I can't have it. I'd like to go on a holiday once in a while, but I can't do that. I'd like to have a party, you know, entertain my friends from time to time, but I can't do that. So I think, you know, I'm poor, right? It's a shame that people think that because of that, they're poor. I'll tell you what they're poor in. They're poor in happiness because they believe that to be happy, you have to buy happiness. Like a loaf of bread, you have to buy it. In the same way, people believe that they have to buy happiness. And happiness is in the objects, in the places you go, in the things you buy at the store, right? In the people that you have to meet and for whose presence, whose, whose time or whose companionship you have to pay money. So therefore, this, so therefore happiness comes with a price tag. So when happiness comes with a price tag, now people are poor. Because you can't afford happiness. Let's say you want to go for two weeks to New York. Hmm? The thought just occurred to you. Would it be nice to go to New York? Maybe you have someone, a friend, a friend has gone to New York. Maybe someone in the family has gone, right? Two weeks in New York to uh, spend some time there. The nice places to go, you know, nice places to visit, right? But you just can't afford it. If you want something and you can't have it, how do you feel? How do you feel? Unhappy. You want something but you can't afford it. You feel unhappy. How do you, how do you become happy now? What, what do you have to do to become happy now? In, in that situation. Somehow try to find a way to afford it. Right? So either you beg, you borrow, you steal or you earn. Right? So you either have to earn it. That can either be on cash or card. <laughs> Right? Or you have to beg for it, or you have to borrow it, or you have to steal it. Right? In one of these four ways, you can go from being in a state of not having what you want to having what you want. So when you have what you want, you're happy. When you don't have what you want, you're unhappy. So what is the gap between happiness and unhappiness then? the means to acquire what you desire. So therefore, if you did a census throughout the world, right, and you ask people, are you poor? I don't mean like, as I said, impoverished. I don't mean, you know, they don't have anything to eat, nothing, nowhere to sleep, no, no, you know, nothing to wear. I don't mean that. They've got fresh water to drink. They've got clean water. They've got sanitation. They've got something to eat. I'm, I'm, you know, they, 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 they can live. You know, they're, they're living a life, right? Reasonable, reasonably good life. But you still say, because people, you know, do you know that, oh, think about this for a second. Don't we all have that relation in our family who when you go to them, like maybe say once a year, once every two years, they're always, you know, people, I don't have this, can you help? Can you help me? Don't you all have someone like that in your family? They're always the one who's saying, 
can I borrow a bit, a little bit of money? I will give it to you back on Tuesday. This Tuesday that never comes. There's always a beggar in the family, right? But your parents were very reasonable. Like they split everything up evenly, everyone got their share, but they are never content. Because they're never content, whatever they get, they will keep on spending. Why do they keep on spending? Because they haven't realized that happiness doesn't come with a price tag. They think happiness comes with a price tag. So whatever they get, they'll go spending that because happiness comes to them with a price tag. What they haven't realized is happiness is at home. Happiness is with them. You don't have to buy happiness. All you got to do is free yourself from wanting all these things. If you can put a lid, if you can put a cap on the things that you want and therefore become content, now you are happy. In the Buddha Sasana, what we do here as a monk, I, this is the first, first question I asked you, why do you think I become a monk? Right? Why have I chosen this lifestyle? I decided to become a monk because I realized that there's a way in which instead of changing the world out there, I can change myself. And in doing so, I can achieve ultimate happiness. That's why they call it ultimate happiness. It is the ultimate of all happiness. There is no happiness beyond that. That is happiness full stop. There is no happiness beyond that. I have learned that there is a way I can master my thoughts. I can. There is a way. And we are somewhere along that. We have made good progress. I am happy to say. That is my pride. Things that used to bother me, things that used to annoy me, things that used to make me angry, they don't anymore. And that is not magic. It's not magic. But those days when I was walking down these alleyways, I, I got the things I wanted, somehow managed to find ways and means to get what I wanted, but I was still, you know, I would, I would still be angry, I would still be annoyed, I would still be frustrated, I would still be disappointed. You know, by the love of God, if I can say so, you know, I never feel suicidal. But there are people who've got everything they could ask for under the sun, but they still feel suicidal. Now you tell me, does happiness come with a price tag? See, is it not such a shock that you look at some of the third world countries, right, where people live, you know, in dire straits, right? They have, they can barely make ends meet <laughs> and they live all right. Whereas in some places, they've got everything they could, they could hope for, every dream within, within, within reach, right? And people want to go and jump off a bridge. <laughs> I mean, does that not simply baffle you? How is that possible? Did you see the, there were some young men who came today? I, you know, I think they were uh, from a, a mentally handicapped institution, right? So uh, I think every Dakine I, I see, they, they, they come regularly. So someone organizes that and they bring these this young, young people along. And wonderful for, for doing that. You know, I was looking at some of them and thinking to myself, because I saw a few young people in the audience looking at them, you know, observing them. And that's all right. And, and, I, and I wished that they were, they, could, they were thinking what I was thinking. I was looking at these young men who... Uh, forgive me for using this word, were mentally retarded, right? 
I don't mean it offensively. It's just the word that they use out there, mentally handicapped, right? They were looking at them. And I, I wondered whether people who were looking at them felt pity towards them. Ayyo. Sin, no? Because that is not what I was thinking. I did not take pity to them. I looked at them and thought to myself, how grateful I should be for what I have, and therefore, am I doing enough with what I've got? Every time I met theirs and my eyes met, I, it, you know, they, that, that's, that, that look on their face pierced me right into my heart and silently they were giving me instruction. In that moment, they were like my teachers. They were asking me, are you doing enough? I felt it in my heart. They were silent. They never said a word. They didn't even know where they were going. Someone had to hold them by the hand and walk them. But they looked at me and they asked me, would you like to trade what you've got with what I've got? They asked me. They asked me this. Having what you have today, seeing what I have today, are you doing enough? They asked me. I was hoping that everyone in the audience who were looking at them, observing them, felt the same. Did you not see them? You saw them. Did you not hear them asking that question? Are you doing enough? I think they're doing more than enough. See, they've come all the way to the monastery. They're coming as close as they possibly can. That's probably as far as they can go. That is probably as close as they can get to this destination. Because there is a natural boundary. They can't overcome that. They can't jump that. They can't change their circumstances. But how about the people who can? Who am I talking about? So I'm never going to ask them, are you doing enough? Because if I did, they would come back to me with the same question. Are you venerable, sir? So I ask you, lovely ladies and gentlemen, are you? It was not a sight to take pity on. It was a sight for us to remind ourselves, are we doing enough? Are we still using that magic wand to try and change the world outside? You know, if they are not happy, you know, these young men, if they were not happy, if they are not happy, I think we have to change because they are not able to change themselves. But if we do the same thing, when we are not happy, if we expect others to accommodate us, to be more accommodating of us, then what do we, you know, what do we have this intelligence for? What do we have the power of thought for? What do we have the, the, the ability to, to, be, to think, to analyze, to, to make self-improvements for? What, what are we using it for?
So they asked me that question. Without uttering a word, they asked me this question. And I ask you the question, they ask me, are we doing enough? Or are you still going down these alleyways? See, those gentlemen, they are lost. They don't know left from right. right? They don't know ahead from behind. So someone has to hold them by their hand, metaphorically and literally, right? and take them. But you, us, we, all of us, right? we have the power of thought, we have the power of will, we can make the right choices. I asked, you know, why are we here? We are here so that we can learn to make the right choices. One choice leads to the next choice, leads to the next choice, leads to the next choice. Every step you took on this journey was a choice. At any moment you could have turned this way and taken the shortcut, but you didn't. Today is another one of those junctions. Today, if you wish, you could take another choice because a choice has been presented to you. Now look at these young children here. A choice is before them. A choice is before them. The youngest boy is 12. A choice is before them. Which choice are you going to make? Shall we go down this route? That's why I asked him to stand up and look around the room. Because I wanted to present to them their future. The future today. <laughs> I wanted them to look around the room and see the ambitions that they have. Right? But fast forward. I bring the, bring the future to today because they perhaps would wish, maybe Putta here would wish, wishes to uh, go on to become go on to become a doctor. So he'll have to go like this, all the way here, all the way here, go to med school, do his A-levels, go to med school, you know, pass all his exams, and then all the, the turmoil that's going to happen in his life, the ups and the downs, and finally he'll get to be a doctor. Right? Putta, there are doctors here. Maybe someone wants to be a become a cricketer. Hmm? Where's that on the board? Here we are. Right. So again, this this the other boy who goes all the way here, all the way here, ups and downs, the training, the you know, all the other, the bureaucracy, right? All that up and down, up and down. You come here, hmm? and there are cricketers in the house. They're here. So you know, why do all that? Then you can just do that. Why waste time? Because, you know, in 20, 30, 40, 50 years' time, you can say, I made the wrong choice. I should have made a different choice. Yes, but you can't now give the, take the 40 years back. You can't rewind. You can't rewind. Not all the money you've earned in those 40 years can you give back and say, please, can I have at least half of the 40 years back? You can take all the money, but give me back half. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Once it's gone, it's gone. That is why it is the most precious thing. I'll leave you with one final thought. What time are you, do you wish to go? Four o'clock? Yeah? All right. 
I'll leave you with this, with this final thought. <clears throat> I think it was yesterday, as I was, have, as I was having my, uh, my arms and having my food, I was, the thought just occurred to me. When we feel that things are of value, okay, whatever that might be, Ah, and then remember now why the thought occurred to me. Yesterday we had 18 young girls, all under the age of 18, who joined us at the monastery as young Anagarikas. That was a fantastic achievement on their part. That was a big leap for them, although only a small step for us, a big leap for them. So, as to, to, to mark this, 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 this big leap that they were going to take, what they did was they took off all their jewelry right? they, and then they laid it out on a, on a, on a tray right? and, and actually decorated the whole thing and, and they came and made an offering of it to the, to the Buddha and said, Venerable Sir, today we renounce our worldly life I mean, you know, these are girls, young girls, 13, 14, 15, 16. Can you believe it? You take pity on them. Hmm? <laughs> it is not they who you should be taking pity on. <laughs> They're taking the shortcut. Hmm? They're taking the shortcut. You saw them today. They were, they were seated on one side of the room, right? So, but there are children who've been coming to our Siyumaga Dhamma school. They've been listening to the Dhamma for a period of time. Some of their parents have already become Anagarikas with us. Some, uh, some have ordained with us, right? So, as a family, they're, they're, they're making a, such a transformational change in their lives. I mean, you know, so, very impressive, really. So impressive. So, anyhow, as they laid it out on the, on the, uh, as, as an offering, their, their earrings and some of them necklaces, bangles and things. It reminded me of the olden times, you know, in the times of the Buddha, how you know Mahaprajapati and you know the the queens and the princesses of the time. You know they would renounce all their material things because I'm sure you know what they came and laid out there was not the only material possessions that they had, but it was symbol. It was symbolic. What they wanted to say was, we are leaving behind the things that we thought were more valuable than us. That's the thought that occurred to me. Whenever you want to aspire to something, okay, whenever you feel like you need to go and get something, that could be money, wealth, it could be property, it could be a title, it could be uh, you know um, land, whatever the, that might be, and whatever an asset that might be, whether material or immaterial. Whenever you feel that you need to aspire to it, you, need to, you want to go and get it, here's the truth about it, ladies and gentlemen. You feel that you are less than that and that is more than you. That it, this, this thing that you're going after is bigger than you, it is greater than you, it is more valuable than you. That is why you wish to acquire it so that you can then feel that you have come to that level. I'm talking about how the mind works. This is the psychology behind it. Take an example. Let's say you see a, a nice house. Now you're driving past the street, you see a nice house, and you think, hmm, I'd, I'd try to buy a house like that. When you see that house, 
I'd say it's 10 bedrooms, right? nice garden, big house. It's almost a mansion, right? Now, it's perhaps as, as it stands, you, you can't afford it yet, perhaps. But you have, a, you have a dream. You dream, right? You think, right, in five years' time, I'm going to be able to afford that house and I want to buy it. Right now, what is of more value? Your time, your life, or the house? What do you think? In that moment, what do you feel is more valuable? The house. Therefore, you're willing to expend your time, your life, your health, basically you as a package. You're investing you to buy the house because the house is more valuable than you. This is how you feel in that moment. So eventually, you earn enough, you, you, you find the means, you get the paperwork done, you go through all the, the, the legal stuff, right? And you, you finally get the, buy the house. When you bought the house, now it has become part of your, your kingdom. It has become part of your identity, right? So you are now the owner of the house, meaning the house is yours. So you are in the house, you are now level. Now you feel that you have achieved that level. So what about when you let go of something? When you let go of something, what does that tell you about yourself? You don't let go of something unless you feel you are better than it, you are bigger than it, you are more valuable than it, whatever that it might be. Right? So when we came into the sasana, as monks, anagarikas, anagarikas, you know, we have amongst us people who've gone to the pinnacle of their careers. The Swami Nansi who did the sermon for you this morning, he's a doctor by profession. He left that life, a life where he was up here. Many long years of his life, he would have trained to become a doctor. Right? But he left all that behind because he realized one thing, I am more valuable than a doctor. Therefore, I shall not waste my time. I shall not waste my life as a doctor because I have a bigger aim. I have bigger dreams. I have bigger, bigger things to achieve with my life. There are those who leave behind material possessions without a care in the world. Sometimes, you know, property that have been handed down to them from generations to generations, sometimes, you know, you, you can't even think about it. Yeah, they are of that scale and they leave all that behind and they come to the sasana. Right? They settle debts if they have any. The remainder sometimes they pass on to their family. Right? Some of it they offer to the sasana. But they let go of all that and they come as monks. And once they come here, they have nothing. Because they have everything. You only let go of something when you feel you are bigger than it, you are better than it, you are more valuable than it. So, I bring you to the concluding remark of today's talk then. Whatever it is in your life that you are still attached to, that you still have not been able to let go of, it is because it is bigger than you. It, in your mind, is better than you. In your mind, you feel it is more valuable than you. Look at the place you've given yourself. Now who's to pity? The 12-year-old Puta who worked with me yesterday, 
or the 60-year-old you who's still not able to give up some of the things that you still hold on to? Why do you undermine yourself so much is the question I leave you with. Why do you tell me, Swami no answer, I'm a grown-up man, okay? I'm 40 years of age, 45, 50 years of age. I'm a grown-up man. I'm well-educated. I'm intelligent. I'm wise. I'm knowledgeable. But my car is more valuable than me. So therefore, I can't let go of it. How much is your car worth? Okay, 50 lakhs. Hmm? Is that what you value your life at? Is that the value of your life? Is that why you can't let go of it? I'm not saying let go of it meaning give it to somebody else. That's not what I'm talking about. Is that why you can't let go of it so you can jump this? Is that why? Is it your title? Is it your house? What is it that is more valuable than you? Why did the Buddha renounce or the young prince renounce his worldly life as a, as a prince? He was destined to become a wheel-turning monarch, meaning an emperor for all the land. Right? He was, that is what he was destined to be. But he realized one thing. I am bigger than all that. I am better than that. I, my life, is more valuable than that. So those who can't leave things behind are those who say, time is money. Because to them, their time equates or is equal to the money or the material wealth value of the possession that they can't leave behind. Look at how much you undermine yourselves. I'm here to tell you that you are far more valuable than that. You are so valuable you don't even know it. (laughs) Because you have been born in the era of the Buddha when his sasana prevails. You are still, you still have vitality about you. You can listen to the Dhamma. You're sane. You've got your sanity about you. You've got your wits about you. Right? You're alive. You're breathing. You're, you're capable of understanding something. You, you have not, you know, you're not, you've not got dementia. Right? You understand what I'm saying. You can make sense of what I'm saying. And still, you think your life is less valuable than a house. You think a plot of land in Colombo 7 is more valuable than your life. What can I say? <laughs> you think being a banker is more valuable than life itself. What can I say? So with that slap. <laughs> on that bombshell. I'm going to leave you for today. Honestly, please come to the realization that your life is priceless. You have undermined yourselves so incredibly much that you feel you are only this much worth in comparison to whatever it is you can't leave behind. Those girls yesterday, when they came out and they laid laid down their bangles and their, and their necklaces and their rings and whatever jewelry they had. It was a symbol to say, Swami Nuhansa, there is nothing in this world that is more valuable to me 
than life itself, my happiness. Therefore, I offer my life to the Buddha Sasana. I'm speaking to the majority. <coughs> I know with some of you, you know, they will, as I said, maybe you should have come and asked me 60 years ago. <laughs> what about attachment to children? <laughs> Speak to the lady. <laughs> attachment to children. I want, now, I, I propose, right? <clears throat> now, I don't know whether you can think about children in this way because I myself was never a father. So, what you feel as a parent, right? I've not experienced that in the same way. They say, you know, the love for a child runs through your blood and veins. Okay? But here's what I know. I know how the mind works. Yes, that's the point I was going to come to. Duties and responsibilities you have to fulfill. You can't just shy away from duties and responsibilities because they are duties and responsibilities. Look at what I am doing. No, I don't mean just right now. You know, as a senior monk at the monastery, I have a duty to fulfill. I have a responsibility to fulfill. 450 lives. My Guru Swami Nuhanse expects me to give them leadership, to, 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 to look after them, to make sure that they have the ways and the means that are required to, to fulfill the path. Right? So he gives us spiritual leadership and he wishes for me to give, to manage this place, let's just say, to put it very simply. So that is a duty, that is a responsibility, which I can't shy away from. If your relationship with your children and your connection to them and the way you look at that bond is purely from that lens, duty, relationship, uh, uh, responsibilities, I understand. However, no matter what you say, the truth is this. We can see, we can, you know, we can, we can come up with all sorts of stories, explanations. This is my duty. This is my responsibility. So what can I do? What can I do? At the end of the day, we get, we both get the same paper. It's like, you know, the exams, right? Your A-level paper is going to be the same for everyone, regardless of whether you come from a well-to-do family where you don't have to feed for the family. It's all there. You, you know, you're, you're well endowed. You've got everything and all you've got to do is study for your exams and go and see the paper versus a child who's, who's lost his father. The mother's got cancer. He's the one who's the breadwinner for the family. He's got to go work, look after his sisters and provide for the family and all that. And he's also goes to study for the exams. They both get the same paper. <laughs> No concessions, no discounts. They both get the same paper. No exemptions, nothing. Life seems unfair. What can I do? I don't make the rules. So here's what I suggest, if at all possible. I mean, these are only suggestions, right? And this is not by any means rules or, you know, uh, this is, don't take this as... as uh, uh, this is not advice for anybody. These are just suggestions. If I were in your shoes, say I was a father, okay, and I had children, I would probably, I, I caveat this with probably, <laughs> just, just to make sure that you, know, you don't feel that I'm, I'm pushing something on you, something that would be, seem unfair and unre unrealistic, more unrealistic than unfair. If I were you, in the back of my mind, I would, I would always have my ambition 
to do this and always plan for how I can be free from my responsibilities and duties by setting my children up on a path of their own, provide for them, so that you know if there's enough for them to get going, do I need to take them all the way? If there's enough for them to get going and they can build a life up for themselves as I did for myself, if I've given them the values and the morals, if I've introduced to them a philosophy for life, right, which is, which is available in the sasana, right, if I can if I can introduce that to them and give them a, a good start in life and give them a means to to make some some progress on their journey forwards, do I have to hold them by their hand and take them all the way to the finish line? You have to answer that question for yourselves. Sometimes we hide ourselves behind this veil where we feel as a, as a responsible parent, I have to be there until my, until my very end so that I know my children are well-to-do, they're well-loved, they've got the house, they've got the car, they've got another house in, 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 <laughs> you know, in this place, they've got a holiday house in somewhere else, right? they've, they've, got, they've got land, they've you know, settled down, well-to-do, well-off and everything. I don't think you have to lay it all down on a plate for them because that is not how you were brought up. Life was partly a struggle for you, but those struggles taught you things. You matured thanks to those, some of those struggles. Perhaps some of you got nothing from your parents. Perhaps, right? But you, you worked for it. You, you, you jumped through the hoops. You learned about life and you know, you're here today. Perhaps some of you got something from your parents. Right? That gave you a good start. And using that, using your, having your wits about you, having your intelligence about you, and the right associations with the right people, right? Getting to know the right kind of people, not the bad friends, the good friends, the right associations, the noble association, and the, the, the influence that you might get from somewhere like this, right? Now you're on track for, you know, a good place in life. And besides, you know, as a good parent, I think, again, if I were you, I'll always caveat with that, if I were you, if this is the path that I want to take and I want to give the best thing to my children, I would consider it my solemn duty and responsibility to introduce them to this path as well. Because when I held that child in my hands and looked at it in its eye, I said, Puta, I'm going to give you the best that life can offer. If today you believe that the best that life can offer is to be found in the Buddha Sasana, then a degree from Yale University is not the best that life can offer. A million dollars in a bank account is not the best that life can offer. A holiday home in the Vatican City is not the best that life can offer. The best that life can offer is in the Buddha Sasana, where you become more valuable than anything. You become priceless. When you become priceless, then Nothing with a price tag can bring you down. That is what I have, I have aspired to. That is what we do. We aspire to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. These are virtues as we talked about last week in Rajagiriya. These are virtues. These are not people. These are not entities. They are not things. These are virtues. They are values. Moral values. That is what we aspire to. That's why we say, Suvisi Anantamaha Gunabalin. 
right? These values are infinite in nature. What is the price of, what is the value of something that is infinite? How much? <laughs> They're infinite. So when you aspire for something that is infinitely valuable, right? When you can achieve that, you become infinitely valuable. If you settle for something like a Rolex watch, hmm? or a Bugatti Veyron, then what you're saying is, that is how little I value my life. I will sacrifice my time to get for myself a car. <laughs> I'll sacrifice my life, my merit power, my human life to get myself a holiday home in Tokyo. Is that what life is worth? Think about it. So my friendly advice would be, for those who have duties and responsibilities, particularly when it comes to children, one, introduce them to the Dhamma. Because once you do that, there's no telling where they might go after that. Perhaps before you, hmm, they might actually make that journey and free themselves from suffering. After all, dear parents in the house, what do you really want for your children? For them to be wealthy or for them to be happy? What do you want? If they've got all the wealth in the world, but they're not happy, are you happy as a parent? Do you feel that you've fulfilled your, 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 your duty? No, of course not. Because there are plenty of children out there. They've got everything under the sun, anything at a click of a button, but they feel suicidal. They're doing drugs. They're depressed. They're waiting for life to end. Life is a living hell for them. I mean, how can a parent who've produced a child like that think to themselves that I'm a successful parent? You might be a good nanny. You might be a good provider. You're, you know, the father's a banker. That is what the father's done. He's provided the money. But he's not brought up a child, you know, a proper human being, a happy human being who lives by his morals and values and virtues. That is, are the, those are the treasures. Those are the treasures that Russ can't take away. Or the moths can't take away. Those are the treasures that thieves can't take away. Everything else, it'll either rust away, the moths will take away, meaning right, the elements, the animals will take it away. Right? They'll eat at it, they'll decay it, right? or the thieves will take away. <laughs> What's the point? Surround yourself with lots of wealth, lots of property that, can, that is only with you for as long as these, the, the circumstances around you will permit. But if you can gain values, virtues, morals, right, a, a good upbringing, and set yourself so that set yourself right, so that you have merit power to see you right after this life and then to, to the next and so on, and the, your 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 life to nibbana, that is not something that anyone can take from you. Time can't take it from you. Time is the is the is the invisible enemy, right? Time can't take it. The time is the invisible thief. Time can't take it from you. The fire can't take it from you. The wind can't take it from you. The storms can't take it from you. Now you become invincible. That is what we should aspire to. So, that is just my tuppence worth on that. <laughs> right, I know you have to head, get, get, get going soon enough. So, once again, Thank you for all for coming. It was so good to have you all. And especially to 
the organizers who did everything to organize this event, to, to invite you all, to make your, to convince you to come here, and all the stories that they must have told you <laughs> to convince you to come here. Hopefully, most of them were true. <laughs> Hopefully, you are all pleasantly, you were pleasantly surprised when you got here and you enjoyed your stay here today. As I said, this is our culture. We respect each other. We care about each other. Trust through the Dhamma is the, is the bond that unites us. Right? And that is why I said this is the paradise that I know on earth. So from this paradise to the next paradise, that paradise is not on this earth. <laughs> but if there was one place where I could be until I get there, that would be here, no doubt. There's not another place I would ever wish for or dream of being. At my teacher's feet, where he guides me, gives me, gives me guidance, gives me love and affection, and tells me right from wrong, and watches out for me, like a, a protective father and a caring mother. I want nothing more. I've got it all here. I want you all to come and experience that. Enjoy this bliss while it lasts. Even if you don't believe in life after death, right? Let's just say you're skeptical about that just a little bit. You think that's it, after this, nothing else. Then while you live, you know, make it, make it worth it. <laughs> make it a happy one while it lasts. But you know for true you know, and for real that the life that you're living right now, there are more downs than ups. There's more turmoil, there's more, there's more torment, no t more tumultuous times than the happy times. It's, it's a rat race, it's a struggle, it's a stressful world out there. But in the Buddha Sasana, it's not so. Yes, we have problems, we have challenges from time to time, right? For 450 mouths to feed. <laughs> you have four mouths to feed and you wonder what some of, some of those days, you know, how am I going to do this? With 450? <laughs> now these days, you know, it's, 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 it's a draft. Sorry, beg your pardon. We have a drought going. So, so we've got very little water left. Water is very scarce now. We haven't had rains for a long time now. But whenever our devotees come, so when you come to the monastery, sometimes we, we, we use little water so that we can save it so you can use it when you get here. That is how we are. That is how our teachers, our teachers teach us to be. Always put others before yourself. So we've never asked you not to flush the toilets. We've never asked you to never to not to make yourselves comfortable. And some from time to time, people ask to come and stay stay with us for short programs. We never reject them or deny them. We'll always take them, but we know fully well if they come and stay two weeks with us, they're using up some of the water. We have a tank, but it's emptying up <laughs> very rapidly. So if it doesn't rain soon enough, then I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to make it happen somehow. We'll have to go and find some water somewhere. Because unlike other things, you know, like food, you know, you can, as devotees, like I said, you never give me the chance to go on an arms round, <laughs> you know, unless I do it out of my own will. You've never made it a necessity for me to go on an arms round because you're always there for that. But what about the water that we need to wash ourselves with, wash our robes, clean the place and right? drinking water, perhaps we can get them in bottles, but the other water, I mean, how many, how many bowsers can you, can you bring to this place? a place where they have almost 450 people. 
And every Saturday we get about 800, 900 people who come in regularly. Every flush is a flush. <laughs> every flush is a flush. That's water that, that, that can be used for something else. Right? So, but, yeah. In serving others, we serve ourselves. Nothing makes us happier than the service of mankind. That's the thing, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm happy, what's the matter? If I'm really happy, if I'm genuinely happy, if all my heart, right, if my heart is just glowing with happiness, right, if my heart is a spring of happiness, what else do I have to worry about? When problems come, we'll face them. We do plan ahead, right, we've got a plan for the next five years. Guru Hamdra keeps telling us that soon enough he, he's going to have 10,000 monks here. <laughs> Sometimes I have to wonder whether I have to knock some sense into his head. <laughs> but hey, he's Guru Hamdra, so he must know. <laughs> he says one day there's going to be 10,000 monks in this place. Ten, can you believe that? 10,000? <laughs> well, that's why he's Guru Hamdra. He has a vision that I can't, I can't see that far. He has a grand vision. How he envisioned this place to be this place six years ago, to think that this would all materialize back then when we came here, like I said, you know, this is just this was a, this was a jungle. <laughs> and we thought this this place today, if you know, if you took me back six years and showed me a picture of what today looks like, I would have said, no, never. <laughs> but in his vision, he had it. So through us, he makes his vision a reality. That is what he uses us for, the service of the Buddha Sasana. And so we are slaves to the Sasana. That is what we have come for, to be slaves to the Sasana. I used to be a slave to somebody else, to slave to other people, to my boss, to friends, to the wife, and so on. But today I'm a slave where that slavery brings the best reward, slavery to the Buddha Sasana. So my, what my teacher does is he makes use of all of us. And we love that. He makes use of all of us. He makes use of every ounce of energy that we have in the service of the sasana. Because in serving the sasana, we serve ourselves. That's the way it works. So, finally, once and for all, thank you all for coming. And I'll see you soon. Alright, so let us turn to the merits. We have all acquired. We have engaged in a tremendous amount of merits from this morning in the Buddha Puja, the Mutukuda, right? inviting the monks to the arms, offering them arms, washing their arms bowls, offering Pirikara, and organizing this event as you all have, and kindly invited others to come along, brought along a few new people as well, so that they are introduced to the Sambuddhasasana as well. So lots of, lots and lots and lots of merit. So let us take this moment then to transfer all those merits to all those who are deserving of it. So then, first and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude towards the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer all these maids that we have acquired. Let us also take a moment to transfer these maids to 
all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us also not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these maids to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhansi, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to all those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who pass on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these maids to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, our employees, employees, our teachers, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form, and by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakka Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samudasasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, by the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors, our loved ones, those who have passed, passed, passed on in our name, reminding ourselves that it is in their toil, sweat and labor that today we live in comfort and, and the lives that we live today in peace and harmony. Let us also remind ourselves to pass on these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as, as well as the police force who sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation as well as those who lost their lives in the, in the wars, be their friend or foe. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who might have lost their lives in natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, blizzards, pandemics, and so on, reminding ourselves that in this infinite long journey of Sansara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters to us, friends to us, those who would have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape, or form, being grateful to all of them and with compassion and loving kindness, let us transfer these merits to all of them. If any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. And may by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, in offering arms to the Mahasangha, in inviting them to attend your almsgiving in, the, in conducting the Parahara, in 
holding the mutakuda, in offering, in making various offerings to them, in also organizing this sermon and inviting others to join the sermon and making the Dhamma available to them, in making the Buddha Sasana available to them by the power of all these merits, may we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this, pro- this program a success become an Arahatun Vahanse or Narahatteranin Vahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. Raga ginnam idatnva Dvesha ginnam idatnva Moha ginnam idatnva Nibbana parama sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Mamada Sialu Loka Sialu Satnayo Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Raga Gini Niveva Dvesha Gini Niveva Moha Gini Niveva Nivan Sapalabeva Nivan Sapalabeva Nivan Sapalabeva Tunruan Silu Loka Silu Satyoma Nibana Paramasukain Sukhita Vetva Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu